2: Out, baby. Yes, sir. Bears fans, this is Take the North with your hosts, David Hall. The
3: hits principle is corny,
2: old fashioned,
3: and all that. But you know what? These guys are
1: buying in. And Dan Weiderer. I get criticized all the time for being negative in my coverage of the Chicago Bears. And I tell people, again, it's my 10th season. I have covered one winning season and zero playoff victories.
2: We're going to take the North and never give it back welcome in to take the north
3: episode eight already this is game week we're in the midst of game week labor day is over it's time to get to work david hall with dan readerer we are at take the north pod on your twitter machine adam stodzinski our capable producer keeping us going and on the air and in this podcast wherever you get your podcast on the odyssey app or spotify or apple or wherever keep finding us we appreciate the support we appreciate you finding us last week for Dan's great interviews with Justin Fields and Luke Getzey and we have so much to talk about this week because there was some blockbuster (laughs) news over the holiday weekend Dan
1: yeah first of all I gotta say that that intro music is starting to get my uh, blood pumping every time we start an episode right like we've got some momentum brewing here and as you mentioned we're in game week But obviously, before we get to game week, we have to talk about major changes at the top of the power structure of the Chicago Bears organization. Obviously, the news broke Friday morning, late Friday morning, shortly after you and I got off the air co-hosting on 670 The Score. Ted Phillips, president and CEO, after 24 seasons in that role, this coming February, will step down from that position. David, you can look. Visually on the screen, I've got pages and pages and pages of things I want to get to. And I know you're you're going to rein me in because I just think this is a very important conversation to have about the football team that we cover.
3: Well, I think you're right. Your TED talk could be a marathon because (laughs) I think that you have much to say. Like so many people, though, in Chicago. And as I say that, Dan, we both know from covering this team and this franchise for as long as we have, that most Bears fans in the audience are right now nodding their heads. Yeah, I get it. I know, because they have so much to say and so much to think and so much of that emotional baggage that they have carried into each and every season for the last decade especially. Let me ask you this before we get into the nuts and bolts and the legacy and and, and some of the things that we're going to talk about. Got to ask you, we're both newspaper guys. We both were on the air Friday morning. We both evaluate the news business for a living. Yeah. Is there anything – to the timing of this announcement, the Friday before Labor Day weekend, traditionally the news dump phase of the any anybody's calendar, do you think this was a news dump by the Bears?
1: I think I texted you that very question a couple hours after this happened, and I think you nodded your head vigorously over text and said, yes, there was something to the timing of this, that this is traditionally a moment where you kind of try to dump out major news in a way that it won't get – massive attention right and, and so for the bears to announce uh, a decision that obviously had been made well in advance of friday right we know by, by the way the stories were written first by our good friend dan pompey at the athletic and then obviously of course by larry Mayer of chicago Trib- or, i'm sorry chicago bears.com that this has been something that's been in the works for a while and so yeah as an organization you time the release of that and they certainly seem to time it for the friday of a holiday weekend perhaps to keep some of the tomatoes and missiles and grenades that that ted phillips typically takes to a minimum
3: so your story in the sunday chicago tribune was outstanding chicagotribune.com for those who haven't seen it it was long you know it was long it could have been longer it actually it could have been twice as long and, and then some dan i mean these are the kinds of things that that you know we'll, we'll continue to say the legacy is, is complicated but is it really see and as i read it i felt like I, it, with all due respect, it was tremendous. But I felt like I had written that maybe yeah. a decade ago because yeah. the story hasn't changed dramatically. The things that we, you know, uh, the Bears fans lament now are things that they have been lamenting for so long. And and the fact of the matter is, and and that, I mean this with all due respect, Ted Phillips will be retiring, if you will, yeah. next next uh, after this season, next winter, as he has chosen. But he will be retiring as the symbol of underachievement for a franchise that is historically underachieved. And that's not a great legacy to, to necessarily have.
1: Listen, your dog believes that that's not a great legacy to have either. He wants a piece of this conversation as well because there's a lot of people that have a lot to say on this. The fact that you have written that story previously and that I'm just sort of redoing it at a time that the the president and CEO is stepping away is what makes this so sad. It's this quarter century Worth of failure and mediocrity. And it to me, David, it represents the sort of failures of leadership, right? And in leadership of the Chicago Bears organization, two things that they typically lack are vision. And supervision. And Ted represents both of those things, right? The deficiencies in both of those areas that have prevented this team from doing anything meaningful. Let's just give the numbers right out of the gate so people understand what this is. 23 seasons. This will be season 24. So some of these numbers can be added to if you'd like. Eight last place finishes. Only six playoff appearances. Okay, you don't want to have more last place finishes than playoff appearances. Only three playoff victories. That's sad in and of itself over 23 years. A 177 and 192 regular season record. That is the definition of middle of the road and mediocrity. Only one time have they had back-to-back winning seasons. That's a good 16 years ago now. 2005 and 2006. I mean, you cannot look at this any other way than to say that this organization has failed. And if you're going to say that this organization has failed, you go right up to the top of the food chain with the chairman, George McCaskey, currently the team president and CEO, Ted Phillips, and you you, you make sure that they take the scrutiny that they deserve.
3: And I think it's what, what makes it complicated is, is we're not being unfair here necessarily. We're trying to be respectful because he is an executive and he has some accomplishments that the you know, are part of that legacy as well. He did get Soldier Field renovated uh, on the on the site that it currently sits. He is in charge of the move to Arlington Heights. There are business victories that you look at a team that is worth, or a franchise that's worth $5.8 billion, and yet you feel a sense of, boy, you know, they own, have, they're underperforming. They could be worth much more. The, the Chicago Bears in a market that is passionate about football, boy
1: in because a league that prints money
3: right <laughs> exactly and soldier field was outdated you know shortly after it was was opened and i, I think the new that's the new soldier field and now so i wondered this you know because i think historically what we have always said about the bears and, and that's why i say the symbol of underachievement is that they they really have never known what they don't know that's and, it and that's that's the problem that's when you run running a football organizations that you're you 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 want to understand the football part of it because that's that's what it's all about in the nfl you can run a smart business practices with everything else but if you don't know football you're in the wrong business
1: So, so, so do this with me for a few minutes here. Let's do this little exercise together because we start in the present day, right? And we understand that this new regime and a new reboot of Chicago Bears football is heading in to the 2022 season with most of the outside world believing that they are a bottom five or six football team, right? And they believe that because they had to bring in a new general manager. They had to bring in a new head coach and they had to completely overhaul the roster. Now, I'm going to put you in in the Bill and Ted time machine so that we can try to figure out why Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus are digging out from this rubble. Well, let's go back first to 2019. Today, Monday, as we record this, September 5th is the three-year anniversary of when the Chicago Bears opened the 100th season of the NFL against the Green Bay Packers downtown at Soldier Field. We talked about this. The energy that was in this city at that point With the understanding that this was a team that had won a division championship and seemed to be in the middle of a Super Bowl run, right? Like they could make runs at trying to win the Super Bowl for three, four, five, six years. Guess what happened? They didn't, right? And it started in 2019 when they dramatically underachieved and they went eight and eight. And they went eight and eight because in big part, their quarterback struggled. And then their quarterback struggled with struggling, and he never got unlocked, and they stumbled to the end of that year with great disappointment in the way that that whole thing had unfolded. Okay, so who drafted the quarterback? Ryan Pace. Who hired Ryan Pace? Ted Phillips. Who was in charge of supervising Ryan Pace? Ted Phillips, right? So that's 2019. They follow again in 2020 with another highly disappointing season, right? And in 2020, they come back to us at the end of that year with David, as you well remember, one of the most landmark, embarrassing moments in franchise history, that Zoom call that George and Ted sat on and basically told you that they liked the way that Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy collaborated, and thus the failures in their results would be overlooked because they were good men and men of character. And so we can get into that here for a little bit, but let's start here, because if we're going to talk about Ted Phillips, we're certainly going to talk about the one quote, that he had in that highly embarrassing Zoom conference that, that really, to me, sort of shall be written atop his legacy forevermore. It was,
3: the, it was defining. It, it was Ted Phillips, like it or not, defining moment. And this is how it sounded to us at the time.
1: This is a people business. And when we step back and we've taken a look at what are the qualities of a successful manager, general manager, and a head coach, uh, we feel that Ryan and Matt check off lots of those boxes. Have we gotten the quarterback situation completely right? No. Have we won enough games? No. Everything else is there. <laughs> yeah, I mean <laughs> There's nothing
3: David, else
0: there. There I, David, is
1: no there there. If
3: this you is, cannot get the quarterback
1: right. This is this was back in the the pandemic Zoom era, right? Where you're 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 you're, you're listening to these things from your home office while muted on Zoom, because it's not your question, I vividly remember hitting my desk pushing my chair away from the table and being like, Oh my God, the president and CEO of the Chicago bears, a charter franchise in the NFL just downplayed the inability to get the quarterback position, right? Or win enough games. Right. And you said, this is it Chicago bears fans. This is why you will never have a sustained run of success because these are the people that are leading your organization. There'll be people that defend Ted and say he has nothing to do with football. I say in the words of of our friend, Peggy Kaczynski, poppycock. <laughs> that's that's poppycock because if you are in a role where you have this much clout and you've developed this much say in an organization over 23 years, you need to take responsibility for the failures that occur. And the sheer inability to recognize when pronounced failures have occurred is one of the major problems that this franchise has had forever.
3: Have I been late for work? <laughs> yes. Have I completed every project successfully? No. Am I a good employee? How in the world do you come to the conclusion after he asks those rhetorical questions? That's the baffling thing. And if that's how it still sounds as silly now as it did then. And that's just the beginning of what I think you have compiled as Ted's greatest hits.
1: Right. And and, and listen, you know, uh, one of the other parts of this is is, is George McCaskey and the family and their, their profound trust in Ted and all the things that they uh, believe in him for that don't necessarily equate to what their entire world is about, which should be successful football for a football organization. But this was some from that same Zoom call in 2020 of George expressing his praise for why he believes in Ted the way he does.
0: The leadership that Ted Phillips has displayed during the pandemic has been extraordinary. It is yet another example of why our family has so much faith in him as the Barris president and CEO. He communicated frequently and extensively with our staff and made sure that they know that their health and safety is our top priority. He streamlined work at home requirements and allayed the fears of staff that there would be layoffs. Or furloughs. I'm particularly grateful for Ted's steady hand when the team faced adversity during this past season and as he and I went through the end-of-season evaluation process. We had vigorous discussions over the course of several weeks. Those conversations as well as regular meetings with Ryan and Matt including this week have been candid and constructive and have culminated in the decisions we're sharing with you today.
1: So, I want to play one more audio clip just so we can bring this discussion full circle. But go ahead okay. with what, what do we have on that one?
3: Yeah, I want to. I want to add some to that. See, I think this is what I'm talking about when you heard what George had to say there and how he said it. When I'm, and I don't mean this again. We're not trying to be attacking by saying the Bears don't know what they don't know. But their definition of success somehow, when they're running a football operation in the NFL, I think you referred to it as the most cutthroat pro sports organization in the world, and it is, and it yep. is. I think that by they just define the job differently for team president, and I think when we look at team president from the outside of of 1920 football drive, it's that okay? How are how often are you competing for Super Bowls? How competitive right. are you on the year in and year out basis on the field? See, I think the Bears. For whatever reason, I think this is where they're naive. They come across as really out of touch. They think that Ted Phillips was there to make everybody feel better about going to work and, <laughs> and have the op- the operation functioning smoothly during the pandemic in the business board meeting boardrooms during those meetings where you're you're planning you know what uh, how, your your revenue uh, projections, not football. And that's the only thing I've been consistent about from the day I got here to to now to the, through his twenty three seasons. Where's the football guy in the organization that has identified that this isn't good enough and you need to get to the playoffs more often and you've got to, hey – compete and win a Super Bowl. And I think that's the the football definition of the job has always been one they haven't fully grasped.
1: So so you use the word naive. I would use the word ignorant to describe the exact same thing, right? The, the inability to understand what it is that it takes to achieve high-level success in this league. Along with that comes this little soundbite from George McCaskey from the same Zoom conference. Again, remember what happened in 2020. The Bears lost six games in a row. Uh, they ended up stealing the 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 first ever number seven seed in the nfc which i think confused them a little bit but here was george on talking about one of the primary reasons that he opted to keep ryan pace and matt nagy together and in power for 2021
0: ryan and matt are men of character they are both like ted outstanding leaders i've been most impressed with how well they collaborate i was impressed with both of them this past season especially during the six-game losing streak. The fact that our players never gave up is a tribute to the players.
1: Holy moly, then, David. That, I mean, that's it, the, other it, it, yeah. that's the other defining quote.
3: The, the, the success and resolve during the six-game losing streak, you're crediting – them for being so bad, they had to show resilience.
1: They went almost two calendar months between victories that year, right? In right. a year where George McCaskey opened the season by saying, well, one thing that 2021 20 was going to be about was determining whether this football team was closer to the 12 and four team that won a division and set the world on fire in 2018 or the eight and eight mediocrity slug that they were in 2019. They got the exact answer they wanted. It was identical to 2019 at eight and eight. They ended up losing the playoff game to the Saints and finished eight and nine. George came back to you and told you the reason he was most impressed with Ryan and Matt was because of their resilience during a six game losing streak. It tells you everything you need to know about what they value. They value personality over production right and they value feeling good over actually achieving right and and this has been the problem forever now again if you want to go and 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 turn the sights on george mccaskey for those things and say take some of this blame off ted phillips that's fine but george has also told you how much he trusts in ted and ted has had a say for 23 years and an ability to say maybe we try something different and he didn't say that until this past off season when he told George before they went out to hire a new, pre, a new uh, general manager and head coach that, hey, listen, I'm not going to oversee the general manager anymore. I'm not qualified for this. You're going to need to do it. Right. And George said, I, I, OK. I'll,
3: I'll agree with that. But, but I, I, would, I would almost go back to seeing when, it, when I'm looking at this and reading your story and, and trying to evaluate the Ted Phillips era, if you will, or error, as we say. Um, he had an opportunity after the 2012 season. And when they fired Lovie Smith after going 10-6, and six, I didn't necessarily like it, and I, and I, but I understood it only with this asterisk and caveat, and, and it never happened. But if they were committed and they understood that they were raising the standard at House Hall because that wasn't good enough, they didn't make the playoffs, and they were going to embark on a path that was more aggressive and they were going to have higher standards and try to be e- e- even more cutthroat than that implied – Okay, then that would have been a new Ted Phillips. Instead, they reacted with some eccentricities and bizarre behavior and bad hires one after another. They hired Phil Emery and then they, you know, they followed that up with Mark Tressman. And firing Levy Smith gave them an opportunity to set the standard a little bit higher. They never met that standard again. And I think they have been waiting since Levy left town to win a playoff game.
1: Yeah. I've I've been here the whole time. You don't have to remind me. Exactly. And getting there wasn't good
3: enough during the, the weird year that that was, but and, and I think that it made 2018 feel like a fluke. And I think that's what you want to avoid as a good organization.
1: So, so a couple last things for me, because I know we have to tie this up and I'm not going to get to everything in my pages and pages of notes. I think I've, I've consistently criticized this franchise for too frequently shrugging past mediocrity. Right. And that I don't think anyone can deny. I also think they shrug past landmark failure. Right. And when you go back to the 2017 decision to draft Mitch Trubisky and not only to draft Mitch Trubisky, but to trade away a bunch of draft picks to move up one slot from number. Three to number two, skip over Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson, and do so with a general manager who did not involve his coaching staff heavily in that part of the process. And then you have the people above that general manager who are supposed to be performing a sophisticated, football informed performance review of the person leading their organization, never really holding him accountable for that, never really worrying that that is what led them to drafting a quarterback who ultimately failed, who ultimately left town, who ultimately left the last regime to draft a new quarterback, which ultimately leaves this new regime to try to develop that quarterback, you're missing the point on why this thing keeps tumbling like a Jenga tower, right? It's like putting up the Jenga tower in the preschool and then being like, I don't know how that thing keeps falling over, right? Like, well, because you're not making sure that it doesn't fall over at every possible thing. And so there's this, this thought process, David, that oh, don't worry about Ted, he doesn't meddle in football. And and in, in a story I wrote last fall, or it was in December, about the dysfunction and, and, and disorder within the organization, a source said to me, there's a big difference between meddling and providing productive oversight and guidance and leadership, right? And that's the failure that this organization has at the top, that to your point, they don't seem to recognize that they have.
3: And the last thing I'll say about the Ted Phillips uh, decision or announcement, because I don't feel like it's something – I want to spend the season, you know, reminiscing (laughs) about the good old days. They weren't that good, you know. And I think this is a a step in the right direction for the Bears organization. And so, yeah, I give him credit for being the front man for organization. There's a lot of scrutiny that comes with it. But I, I think this, the Bears have to take this and view this as an opportunity to restructure the organization. And I don't think they can get caught in this this, uh, you know, it, paralyzed by the present, if you will. They need to keep their eyes on the future, have that vision. I like the way you said the vision and supervision are two things that have been lacking. And so now, I don't care what kind of year Ryan Poles has with Matt Eberfluss as the head coach, and I I would applaud him if they actually look like they he's in the in the right general manager for this point in time. But what you want to do when you have Ted Phillips leaving is now taking advantage of looking at the future points in time and. Restructure your organization so you have a football president, you have a business president, and they're two separate jobs. And Correct. The, business, the business of the Bears is different from what happens on the field. They can be tied. You can collaborate. You can do whatever you want. But have somebody who establishes a direction that your general manager follows, and those guys are in sync with your coach ideally, and then everybody starts to win Super Bowls again or at least compete for them in a way the Bears just haven't.
1: So here's my last thought on that that goes completely hand in hand with what you just said. George said in uh, this past January that he doesn't see anything magical about a football czar. That quote is out there. That soundbite is out there that, that floats around. There isn't anything magical about a football czar, but it's certainly helpful for an organization that does not have football people at the top of their power structure. George tells you himself, I'm not a football evaluator. I am a fan. Ted has told you, we're all fans. You know, we're just trying to make decisions that are the best for this football team. I'm going to give you one more little moment from January. And this was after they hired Ryan Poles and Matt Aberfloos and had the introductory news conference in the auditorium at Hallis Hall. And George McCaskey took questions following that. And this is a quote from, from George here. And he said, I would say the best part of the interviews was when Bill Polian was talking football with a general manager candidate or a head coaching candidate. All you can do is sit back and soak up that knowledge. It was an exciting and educational opportunity for us. While George is saying that, Ted is sitting in a, a seat on the side of the room, and he's nodding vigorously. And it's, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. And I was laughing in that moment, David, because this is the charter franchise of the National Football League. It's not some upstart Division Three college program that is seeking outside counsel for how to run a successful program. The fact that they needed Bill Polian after three seasons of a pronounced nosedive to come in and illuminate for them that they had to clean house – to me was telling and the fact that they, they they sit in Bill Pullion's presence and they feel like, well, this guy knows more than we could ever know. It's embarrassment that they don't even recognize to be embarrassed by that. They don't know what they don't know.
3: The fact that they would have to hire a consultant to tell them who to hire, to be better to fire. (laughs) When you're talking about you're the Chicago bears, you should be giving courses in leadership, not taking them. And that's the biggest problem right now. And I think now, that Ted Phillips has decided to retire. Now all those things are possible if they can find somebody, if they can redirect and they can figure out, you know, find out what they don't know because it's been this way for too long. That's about the future, Dan. We can we'll have plenty more to say. It's going to be a long goodbye to Ted Phillips and it's way overdue, but we will continue to talk about that. That's the future. Let's talk about the present.
1: Hey, everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast
3: Let's get into some season predictions. All right, we're going to bring studs into the equation here because we need somebody else to sound as foolish as we might. Um, (laughs) And, and, you know, hey, you're the man for the
2: job, Adam. Um, Hey, I'm I'm with you. Let's
3: do it. Let's start start with our season predictions record-wise and maybe a a key victory or whatever you want to throw in. I, I look at this. I'll start, and then you guys can follow. I I would like to see more of a connection between some of the encouraging things we saw in the preseason and maybe the record. I would like to be one of those guys. I I don't think they're as bad as Vegas, what Vegas suggests. I don't think they're one of the worst. I don't think they're probably as good as some people want them to be. I see this as a six-win football team. I think I said after the draft, they were still 6-11 to me. After training camp, they might be a, a, a better six and eleven version. I think you end the season with the arrow pointing up because of the schedule, but I do think it's six and eleven.
1: I'm also going to echo that sentiment, David. To me, this is a a 6-11 football team, and it's a 6-11 football team that will be different than last year's 6-11 football team. You said it very well there. Instead of an arrow pointing straight down into the sewer, it's going to be an arrow pointing up. It's not going to be a a sharp upward arrow, but the arrow is going to be pointing up enough where you say, boy, that brand of 6-11 felt more encouraging to me. Can the Bears get to seven or eight wins? Certainly. If everything breaks perfectly for them, they have great health, and they have six or eight developmental breakthroughs from, from young players that they believe in. Sure. They can, they, they can exceed expectations, but you look at this roster, you look at the way they're positioned and it's just, it's, it's a six 11 football team.
2: So I'm a, I'm a little more optimistic. I I'm leaning towards seven wins right now. So not much more optimistic than you guys, but I look at the schedule and I see it as being easier than last year. I see, I see, I think we can all agree. There's five very winnable games on that schedule and it's a matter of how do they do they surprise a few more teams? I'm looking at them as being this, for, based on some of what I saw in preseason. I think they're going to be this pesky thorn in your side team that if you don't play clean football against, is going to sneak up on you and and cut you from underneath at the end of the game. I think that might happen week one against San Francisco. It's all going to depend on how how Trey Lance plays. I'm not I'm not predicting a win. I'm just saying like watch out. So, but ultimately I think there's five wins they can for sure get. And then a split with, with Minnesota and Detroit gets you seven wins. So that's kind of what I'm looking at. Maybe they don't split with both those teams. Maybe they get swept by one, but they surprise another team. So that's, that's how my formula got to seven.
3: I like that. At least we won't be, by any of our predictions, be debating in December whether or not they should win or lose the remaining games for the number one overall draft pick and who that's going to be. Let's hope that's not the case. I think being more competitive is good for everybody. Okay, Bears MVP. My Bears MVP is going to be a guy that I think has a lot to prove. He's announced he has a lot to prove. He's going to prove it. The Bears are going to have themselves a situation. I don't think they're going to have much of a choice. You're going to want to bring back Roquan Smith after he becomes the most valuable player on the field each and every Sunday for your Chicago Bears.
1: Yeah, for the second straight category, I'm in complete agreement with you. I have a runner-up acknowledgement to Darnell Mooney, who I think is in position to have a a really good year for that offense. But Roquan is the best football player on this roster. Roquan Smith is motivated. Roquan Smith has the ability to play in a defense that's going to allow him to run sideline to sideline and be as aggressive as and opportunistic as he wants to be and so when we get to the end of this year as long as Roquan has his head screwed on straight he has an opportunity to make some major plays in this defense and get paid right and that's been the goal for a long time here and so I'm with you that that, that's the 2022 Bears MVP
2: all right we're definitely all in agreement here because I think it's hard to not say Roquan Smith like you guys said he's the best player on the team I think he's got a chip on his shoulder now. He's out to prove it. He wants to get that 90 plus million dollar contract and the only way he's going to do it, the only way he's going to get paid more than than Shaq Leonard is to create turnovers, is to have a huge season. I don't know if he'll necessarily make first team all-pro. He'll definitely get second team all-pro, I would say again. Probably get a probably get a Pro Bowl nod and just have a monstrous year and hopefully the Bears pay him, but either way someone's going to pay him big.
3: All right, let's go to the Bears' breakout player. Maybe you want to call this the surprise uh, development of the season uh, in a positive way. I'm going to go with a rookie, and I'm going to go with the guy that I have been on since they drafted him. I think there's going to be a lot of scrutiny. Well, she should have gotten a wide receiver, but Jaquan Brisker is a guy that you needed in that secondary. He's a guy that looks the part. If he can stay injury-free, and I look forward to seeing if he's going to play with that broken thumb against the 49ers. And even if he misses one game, I do think he's going to establish himself as somebody you can count on. I think people around Chicago with this long storied history of hard hitting safeties, he's the latest. And I think that he could be, we talk about, you know, I always say this about Justin Fields, there's greatness within him. You, you can sense that if he can just find a way to tap into that potential I really feel like in college you saw it, I think, in a small uh, sample size in the preseason with Jaquan Brisker. You see it. There's greatness within him, and I think we're going to see glimpses of that this season.
1: David, Jaquan Brisker is not missing week one. I can tell you I saw the look in his eyes last week when he said that directly to me, and and he will play in the season opener. I'm going to go to the other side of the ball and give you Cole Komet. Listeners to this podcast understand how I feel about Cole Komet and where I think he's going in the third season. I think he can be a tremendous security blanket for Justin Fields in this passing game and really allow drives to move the way that they need to move when things need a a playmaker to make a play. And I think Luke Getzey trusts him. I think he trusts in his versatility. I think he trusts in his ability to handle the things that they're putting on his plate. And I think he's going to be given a a, a tremendous opportunity to go out this season and make that vault that everybody's been waiting for since the day he got drafted. And here we'll get to January and say, there it was. That was the Cole Komet breakout. Dan called it. (laughs)
2: <laughs> That's what we'll say. I, I'm with, I'm with both of you guys so far. And so rather than just kind of repeat what you guys have said, which I totally agree. Like, I think both of those guys could have breakout years. I like both of them coming into this season. I'm going to pivot just a little bit. And this is more of a comeback player. I think Eddie Jackson's going to have a big yeah. year. And it's for a lot of the reasons that David, you said with Jaquan Brisker, he's going to be, we saw Eddie Jackson at his best when the safety quote opposite of him was down in the box, do, make, doing all the dirty work. And Eddie can just sit back and play center field and, and go get the takeaways that he's been lacking. He hasn't been able to do that the last couple of years. He has, he's been in the box a lot. They've moved, they put him at nickel sometimes. And when I say nickel, I mean he's been covering the slot receiver at times last season. He hasn't been used the way that he was used when he was an all-pro. And I think we're finally going to see more of that this year. And I think he gets back to – not named all pro, but I think we see a b- bunch of turnovers from him and we say, okay, yeah, that's why they gave him that contract.
3: Okay, we have to go to the other end of the spectrum and the most disappointing player, as we would predict the, this season with the Bears, all right, I don't know. None of us likes picking somebody <laughs> that's going to disappoint everybody. But it's support material. I know. It's uh, I, Robert Quinn for me. I, I think this is an even-numbered year. You look at his history and sometimes that uh, contributes to it. I also think he's not getting any younger and it's very difficult to do better than what he did last year, which was historically good. And I I think just no training camp. You worry about injury at this stage of his career. You worry about the attention he'll get without a proven pass rusher opposite him in a defense that is more traditionally, you know, the edge rushers are there on each side. So I think Robert Quinn may see a dramatic dip in his production level, his sack total. And I would think Robert Quinn would be my choice.
1: This was a hard category for me because there just aren't a lot of guys with high expectations. And so it's hard to be disappointing when you don't have grand expectations to begin with. But I'm going to give you Valus Jones. And the reason I'm going to give you Valus Jones is because I think this coaching staff has grand visions for what they want. Veilis Jones to be, both as a return man and as a weapon in their offense. And Velas Jones has been out of action for way too much of August, which raises some alarm bells for me to say, uh-oh, is this the type of guy that's going to play two weeks, sit three, play three weeks, sit two, you know, and, and be just riding that roller coaster throughout his entire rookie season where you just don't know from week to week whether he's healthy enough, whether he can absorb what you put on his plate. And so that's where I'm uh, I'm starting in this category. Sorry, Velas. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Uh, I'm going to go with David on this one. That's the first thing that popped in my head, Robert Quinn, when when we're thinking about most disappointing categories. I just don't think there's any way that he lives up to the production he had last year. I think you have to expect a production dip. There's no way he sets or, or ties or breaks his own bears sack record, which is still kind of ridiculous to think about Robert Quinn of all the great guys we've seen in the, on the bears defense, Robert Quinn comes in for two years and one of those years gets gets the sack record. But I just don't see him having near that level of production. I think he'll end up with double digit sacks, but ultimately the bears probably should have sold high on him. Maybe they didn't find a trade partner. Maybe he just wanted to be here, but uh, yeah, I just don't think this year's going to be, as good for Robert Quinn and ultimately we'll say it's disappointing because he didn't leave up, live up to it.
3: Very interesting. No offensive lineman on that uh, list. That uh, well, like, a little bit like Dan said, that. it's
2: hard. It's hard to be disappointed in, in, uh, when you don't have any expectations. <laughs> right. Right.
3: And we call this the take the North pod, obviously. So we need to predict who will take the North. I don't think any of us predicted it will be the bears. So I'll start with my prediction in the division. I don't think it's going to be as easy as some people think. I don't think this answer is written in pen. I am going to go for the surprise because I think that is what these predictions are all about, trying to you know, see something that isn't going to happen, that's unlikely to happen. It is the NFL. This happens every year. The Minnesota Vikings are going to take the North Ooh. in 2022. Wow. I believe that the new regime, they're going to – Find a way to get the most out of Kirk Cousins. I think that the Packers are going to take a step backward. They're going to miss Devontae Adams more than they realize. I don't think the defense is up for it. And I do think the Vikings, just because it is crazy, are going to be competitive. And I think it will be maybe 10, 11 victories, but I think it will be enough to win the division.
1: Can you see this, David? This is my pen, and this is the pen that I wrote Packers down as my NFC North champions. I agree <laughs> with you that, that, that they're going to take a small step backwards, uh, but I think it's going to be an 11-6 and six division championship rather than a 13-win division championship, as Matt LaFleur has had in his first three years as head coach. Aaron Rodgers is still Aaron Rodgers. He can will things to happen with that team and that offense. And so I think the Packers remain the controllers of the North. The bears have promised that they're going to take the North. As we've told you many times, they have not told you when they've just promised (laughs) that when they do take it, they're never going to give it back. It's not happening this year. Green Bay retains control of the division.
2: I like your surprise, David. I I would like to think that it happens, but I just, I can't, I, I wouldn't be able to walk away from this particular podcast episode uh, comfortably saying that Kirk Cousins led team is gonna is gonna <laughs> win the division over Aaron Rodgers, so I gotta go with the Packers. It, it, they they're the best team in the division still. It's not the margin is not as as wide as it was. It's certainly a lot closer. I don't think their defense is gonna be as good as a lot of people are saying. I think they're gonna struggle a little bit offensively, but ultimately, I don't think that that the the, the Vikings are going to do enough to overtake the Packers. I think it'll be close a game or two Vikings probably win nine to 10 games. But like, like Dan said, I'm thinking 11 wins for the Packers. And by, by late December, they got it wrapped up.
3: Wishful thinking is a part of every prediction. (laughs) No, I mean, that's just saying that, but yeah. Okay. That's fun. I could be wrong. Likely will be wrong. I'm just tired of the Packers winning the North and Hey, I'm with you. I'm with you. We'll wait and see. I think I speak for everybody in Chicago. Okay. The Super Bowl. Prediction Tough to do, but everyone's doing it. Tough to envision how it's going to unfold. I do think this is – there's always a surprise in the Super Bowl. Last year it was the Bengals. This year, who will it be? My pick for the Super Bowl is in the AFC, no surprise. I think the Bills will get there. But the NFC, I think the Super Bowl representative will be the team we're going to see on the lakefront on Sunday and not the Chicago Bears. Oh, the, San <laughs> 49ers, uh, the San Francisco 49ers are going to find a way to get back. Let's go back last year, guys. They, they were a good football team, and they were beaten by a better one with the Rams, but I think that they look for upgrades at the quarterback position. They either are going to find that ceiling with Trey Lance or they're going to reassume where the flo- rediscover where the floor is with Jimmy Garoppolo. I know their offensive line takes a step back, perhaps. Debo Samuel's back for another year of being dynamic. The defense is why I think they're going to win the NFC. I think it's going to be Bills 49ers, and right now I'd have to take the Bills in that matchup.
1: So I had to turn in predictions for Tribune Publishing across all their platforms to give these things. And I, I have the Super Bowl champion as the Buffalo Bills, as you mentioned. But in the NFC, I, I, I had a little surprise twist. And since you're going to take surprise twists with the winners of the NFC North, I'm going to give you a surprise twist with the winner of the NFC, who I didn't even have winning their own division. I have the Dallas Cowboys becoming a wild card in the NFC and then making a surprise run in January to set up a rematch of Bill's Cowboys in the Super Bowl. Buckle in for that one. How fun would you like that? Did you make that prediction
3: before or after their injuries on the offensive line? Before. <laughs> okay. That a, that's a lot of faith but, to put in Jason Peters getting off his fishing trip and landing in Dallas
1: this this. Hey, day. look, Jason Peters was uh, sturdy for the Bears last year, wasn't he? Uh, He's, but, He's a man. <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. He's a man now. Uh, but I, I do think that the, the this is going to be a really interesting season in the NFC because of some of the power structure shakeups, right? With You mentioned Rodgers having to deal without Devontae Adams. We don't know what's going to happen with the GOAT in Tampa. And so there's this, this little bit of flux over there that makes that conference um, intriguing in a different way than the AFC is intriguing because I think the AFC has got some really really high quality candidates, and we'll see who studs has
2: got. I'm going to agree with you guys on the AFC side. I'm going with the Bills. I the AFC is going to be wild to watch this year because, like you were saying, Dan, there's a lot of teams that I are in contention teams, legitimate contention. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I think I think the Bills are going to beat the Chargers in the AFC Championship, and it's going to be a really close game. I and I'm 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 this close to wanting to say the Chargers get there, but I think the Bills are just a like a step a step better overall. On the NFC side, it's it's tough because it's it's gonna be even, but not for the same reason. There's not as many teams that are just really those top-tier teams. So this one's kind of an outside pick. I'm gonna go with the Saints. They looked Ooh. really good. They looked really good last year before Jameis Winston got hurt. And I think they come in, and Jameis Winston finds his rhythm. I think that Alvin Kamara has a big bounce back year. Michael Thomas gets healthy eventually. They always have a good defense. So I'm going with the Saints, uh, if for no other reason than they they kind of get shaken out, and then they get blown out in the Super Bowl.
1: And you guys have just just made fans of the agents of Kevin O'Connell and Dennis Halen, first time coaches who are going to have big years, according okay. to the Take the North podcast. So we've got two new subscribers of the pod, just here like we go. that. Well. Good thinking, guys. This will be a lot of
3: fun to revisit how silly we all sound and when we come back in January and revisit this. All right, those are our predictions. Time now for the two-minute drill. The two-minute drill. The two-minute drill. drill. Okay, just in the time we have remaining, Dan, I want to know uh, from an observer standpoint, I guess I'm kind of curious, the the 49ers, just how committed – they are to trade Lance. I'm curious if there's any scenario you see where Jimmy Garoppolo could see the field on Sunday. This is a guy whose offseason has been unorthodox. He's a guy that they thought they could trade. They restructured his deal. They may still trade him. But I just wonder, is there any scenario that you see Jimmy Garoppolo taking the field Sunday on the Lakefront? front?
1: Correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't Jimmy's first start as a 49er at Soldier Field in the game where Robbie kicked five field goals in the revenge game?
3: The 15-point the uh, game, uh, yeah. yeah I I the bears.
1: It was yeah. either Jimmy's first or second start as a 49er. I don't see him seeing the field on Sunday. I, I just think that there is a, a level of commitment to Trey Lance that the 49ers have to see through for at least a little while, right? It's got to last longer than a half with right. with what Kyle Shanahan wants to get out of his quarterback. I think there is this kind of belief that, oh, this is an opportunity for the Bears to jump up and bite a team that's, that's throwing out a second-year quarterback with a lot, a lot of experience. But guess what Trey Lance has. He's got Debo Samuel. He's got a reliable running game. He's got one of the best play callers in the NFL in Cal Shanahan. He's got George Kittle. He's got things that can help ease his bumpy transition into things more than Justin Fields has, right? And so I think when we're talking about that part of the equation, I think Trey Lance will get an opportunity to show what he's about on Sunday. The 49ers certainly have a defense that can keep them uh, in control of that game for as long as they need to be in control of that game. So that's where I am with that.
3: Are there any significant injuries? And we have people understand as you, as you tap into this podcast and download it, that it's fluid throughout the week. The first injury report will come out this week. So I think, is there anything that we need to keep an eye on? Dan, you mentioned Jaquan Brisker. He's going to play, yeah. we would assume, anybody else on the fence there or possibly going to be ruled out or in jeopardy.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, we'll go back to the Valus Jones conversation. I need to see him on the field for several practices in a row before feeling like, okay, he's in the clear. And then I think we're going to be keeping our eyes on in the the days and and weeks ahead on what the status of Lucas Patrick is, right? Because if Lucas Patrick comes back and is cleared to play offensive line, now you've got some dominoes, right, on that offensive line that this coaching staff has to figure out on where they want to play Lucas and what it does to other guys on that offensive line. It's not an easy uh, thing to do after you've practiced in, in several different ways throughout throughout August and the preseason.
3: Can I ask an indelicate question? A little bit different, but kind of, I, at the risk, of, I want to I don't want to be unfair. But at practice the other day, Lucas Patrick was running off to the side because he's injured and his hands, his thumb's been compromised. Has he gained some weight since he arrived? Do you think this layoff has compromised his conditioning? It made me wonder a guy a big guy who has missed that much time. I wonder about his conditioning because he looked like he might have put on a couple.
1: I didn't notice. Um, it's a good question to ask. You would think that a uh, hand injury of all injuries would allow you to do a lot of things to keep your your yourself stelt, I guess, in, in the words, sleek, right? If, if Lucas wants to be that way, it's a good question to ask. It's certainly something that I will uh, train my eyes on during the, the short open uh, segments of practice on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And we'll, we'll see if there's uh, s- some pudge there that didn't exist when, when camp began in July.
3: We're, go- we're going to predict our, uh, our game uh, predictions or those uh, later this week. Uh, I am looking forward to the tight end matchup. You said Cole Komet is your breakout performer. George Kittle is, is a guy that the standard in the NFC for, for tight ends, I think. And I, li- I look forward to that matchup. Do um, you think that uh, Cole Komet has it in him to to have a five catch 95 yard game against the 49ers
1: look who you're talking to it's like the president of the cole Komet breakout year over here yeah i do think he has that in him if the bears offense can get rolling and they can sustain some drives and then they can get down in that red zone uh cole obviously did not score a touchdown in year two of his uh, his career and i think a lot of people realize that and i think this offensive staff understands hey we You've got to figure out ways to make him a weapon for us, either as a primary target or as a a key cog in that machine when we get in close and figure out ways to make that happen. So, yeah, I think that's definitely within capability for Cole.
3: Okay. Anything else that we are forgetting that we need to wrap up? Because uh, the week that uh, the last week of preseason, here we are, the Bears are in game week. It's going to be a lot of fun.
1: We'll get into this more later in the week, but I think, look, this is the the the, the curtain rising on a new era and a new head coach. And Matty Berfloos has to uh, show us that all the things that we were impressed by during the offseason, during training camp, during the preseason, now translate into a game week, right? Like, it doesn't mean anything if you don't know how to prepare for a game and then react within a game, right? And so I think we talked a few weeks ago when they were going into their preseason opener that that was going to be sort of a dry run for Matt being the the chief overseer of a game. Well, now it counts, right? And every decision you make, good or bad, is going to be subject to 30 minutes of conversation by Sports Talk radio hosts on Monday morning. I don't know if you know any of those guys, but that's the pressure that Matt Eberflus faces this weekend. Only 30? I mean, we we got four
3: and a half hours to fill every morning. (laughs) I'm saying per decision, per decision. You know, you get 30 minutes per decision. All right, so we want your help, uh, listening audience. We want to uh, answer your questions. So we're going to incorporate a new... Thing This week you can send your questions. You can email your question to our mailbag. It's take the north pod at gmail.com. Take the north pod at gmail.com. Let us know what you want to know. Let us know what you think about Dan's prediction that Colt Komet's going to catch 110 passes this year. <laughs> Let us know what you think about uh, Adam's uh, prediction about uh, the Saints
1: in the Super Bowl the for God's sake Super Bowl.
3: And Dan's got the Dallas Cowboys in a 40-year-old offensive tackle, so I don't know what he's talking <laughs> about either. But you can also DM us uh, on Twitter, send us a direct message, at TakeTheNorthPod. A lot of different ways to reach us. We appreciate you downloading uh, the pod, especially last week with the big interviews with Justin Fields and Luke Getze. That was a lot of fun, Dan. And I think that we're just getting started and rolling here, and the audience participation can be a big part of this.
1: Yeah, what a good month. I'm, I'm excited now that we uh, transition into regular season mode and there's going to be so much to talk about just in the month of September alone, much less the next four and a half, five months here. So let's keep it rolling.
3: Let's keep it rolling. And thank you for listening to the Take the North podcast. We will be back Friday morning to preview Bears 49ers this game week, people at Take the North pod. Thanks for listening.